Now you're ready? Yeah. All right. Did you hit record? Yes. I'm just going to look at it again just to get visual confirmation. Look at that. Recording. 28, 29, 30. Okay. Welcome to the All the Books Show, the official podcast of the David A. Howe Public Library. We talk book news, author news, and literary news. I'm Eric Mickles. I'm Nick Gunning. And today is episode 100. No. Episode 200. It's a milestone, but you got to keep going. 237. That's not a milestone at all. That's, really? I don't know what that is. That's weird. No. Hmm. Try again. Well, what number is it, Nick? 250. <laughs> hmm. You know, since yeah. since we're not in my office, we I don't have those little uh, party yeah. favors that we usually do. Did that work, or did we just sound like Cardi B? I couldn't really tell. I, I don't know how uh, safe those are in this post-COVID you, you know universe what? either. You know what? That's a good note. <laughs> that is a good note, and I'm going to take that down. How are Here, you, man? Hold on. Hold on. Okay. Uh, I'm good. Yeah. Uh, 250 <laughs> weeks. 250 weeks. Is, I mean, that's, that's what? I mean, that's like five years. Gosh. Yes. Did we start 2015? Yeah, I guess so. Yep. August. Started August 2015, right? Yep. So we're not officially yeah. at five years yet, but in August. Yeah. yeah. So 250. <laughs> I like how you had to wind it back up to get there. I think that's uh, <laughs> that was really, that was worth it. Let me ask you this, Eric, looking back at the uh-huh. two, 250 episodes, uh, do you have, do you have some favorites? Maybe some favorite. Oh, sorry. That's okay. <laughs> Some favorite. Stop! It's just out of control. <laughs> it's excited. Oh my god! It's excited. But, my, but listen, my question is: Do you have some favorite episodes yeah. that we've done? Favorite interviews? Anything like that? I mean, talking to Joe Haldeman is always uh, a cool bragging moment for me. That's like, true. Oh, I talked to Joe Haldeman yeah. about uh, the Forever War and all yeah. that stuff. And then, yeah, I mean, talking to you know comic book legends like Steve Englehart mm-hmm. and uh, J.M. Day Mateus. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't have a lot of experience with Shazam, but that Elliot S. Magan interview was a lot of fun. It was. Yeah, it really it was. It was fun to do. It was fun to listen to him. Yeah. I, I mean, I, there's a lot of a lot of the interviews I've really liked. I, the Magan one always comes to mind, Elliot S. Magan. It was, uh, yeah. That was a big one for me because we were talking primarily about Shazam, but he was like the Superman author that I read the whole time I was growing up. And that issue of his with Superman and Superwoman coming from the future was my all-time favorite comic. So to right. talk with him... And get his takes, not just on, like, the wacky history of Shazam, but on, like, what it means to, like, write Superman and, like, super the core of Superman's character. I thought that was really, like, it made mm-hmm. the little kid in me really excited. I think the Justina Ireland interview that was more recent was probably the most, like, fun slash chill interview that we've done. You know? It was just, like, really loose, and we talked about Ewoks a lot. The Lauren James one was fun. Uh-huh. Yep, where we spoiled everything in that book, yeah. Yeah. I think the first episode we did, uh, we talked about bad cover art with Amy Kuhn. Yes. Is a a favorite one of mine. I was thinking about that, too. There's a couple of those, but yeah, that is a lot of fun. I mean, I can't, I can't... And uh, maybe the first, uh, the first um, Lonely Hearts book club we did, mm -hmm. where we found out, like, yeah, what was it? He... He wanted to cry like a child, but he was, he a, was man. a man. That's right. Yeah, that's he a good early a one. It's it's going to be hard to top Mike Nesmith. I mean, I I listened to Monkey's sure. Records like my entire life, so to just sit down and chat with yeah. Mike Nesmith for a half hour was a uh, was pretty wild. Mm-hmm. So I mean that that yeah. one's right up there. The the Julia Spencer Fleming one, the ones that we did like with the crowd were a lot of fun too. So Julia Spencer Fleming, uh, Wendy Corsi Staub was another good one. 
a lot, lot of fun stuff in there. I think that our, our OC Remix episodes are probably the ones that have the most uh, listens oh, yeah, or the, views. Don't the you think? Interview, that interview was a lot of fun for me. Yeah, Larry O.G. And, right? uh, but also that playlist episode yeah. was was yeah. much fun. I mean, that, that's a long one, too. That, yeah. That's one where people have to commit. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that is true. That was, a, that was a super long episode, but it was fun. Well, uh, shall, shall we get into episode 250 here? What, what have you been up to lately? You read anything good? Yeah, are we opening, are we bookmarking? Let's do it. Let's open the books. Do we say we're opening the bookmark? We say we're opening the books, seeing where the bookmarks are. Right. Yep. Okay. Yep. Uh, what have I been reading? Tell me. What have I... Uh, Uncanny X-Men by Matthew Rosenberg, which was the Wolverine Cyclops ones. It was messy. A lot of the characters died. I did not really care for it. I wanted to like it more than I did. I read the New Mutants Dead Souls, which actually took place before his Uncanny X-Men run. Uh, And then I read Domino Hot Shots by Gail Simone, which is a five-issue closing miniseries for her Domino run. Okay. Yeah, the Mar- Marvel comics, like Deadpool supporting character, right? In the comics, she's much more of a cable character. Oh, okay. Interesting. So she has more. She's an X Force character. Okay. Um, the movies made her much more of a, you know. Yeah, Deadpool that's. I, I've probably horse. read something with her in it, but I guess Deadpool two is probably where I know her the most from. Yeah, she's been around for the. She's a Rob Liefeld character from uh, the early nineties. Uh, and I finished one more thing, Stories and Other Stories by B.J. Novak. Hey, what'd you think? It was good. So yeah, I love that collection. Does he have, I mean, he wrote the book without any pictures, right? Yeah. So, and you, you said your son liked that? He does, yeah. Is that it? Like, that picture book and this one? I think so. Or, I mean, outside of, like, television writing, I, I think those yeah. are the two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I liked it. Uh, okay. My wife loves it. I know you're a big fan of that yeah, one, yes. so... You know, I've never read Bossy Pants, so I think I might need to read Bossy Pants. Oh, I've never read Bossy Pants either. I need to, in case I'm ever on a plane Tina and Tina Fey yeah. is, is next to me, and mm-hmm. then I can be like, I read your book! If you could get out that many words to Tina Fey, <laughs> I, I'd give you a million dollars. Wow. Yeah. Uh, That's how confident I am. <laughs> Let's see. Currently, I'm reading Good Omens by Terry Pratchett. Okay. And and Neil Gaiman. Right. It says it just says Terry Pratchett on Goodreads, but it's Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman. Yes. I don't know. I've never read anything by Terry Pratchett before, so I don't okay. know how much it's Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman. But it's it's pretty funny. Um, it's the whole the angel and the demon are like friends on Earth. They like the way Earth is going, and now that the it's time for the Antichrist, they're trying to. <laughs> stop the antichrist from becoming the antichrist because mm. they just want the world to keep going on right because the demon likes how things are and the angel likes owning his bookstore uh <laughs> so they're buddies this um, is the this is the show there's a show now right with david tennant there's a show michael yeah, david yeah. Tennant, michael sheen i think your guy is in it um john ham john ham is in it mm-hmm. so sorry i called him your guy no no okay. i do like i do like john ham i'll own that um, I went on Overdrive and they had that nice. it there, so I downloaded. It's been a pretty like fast read. It's uh, it's good. I'm thirty six percent done with it according to Goodreads, mm-hmm. under thirty five pages. Yeah, it, it moves pretty quickly. Uh, and also, I'm in the process of reading House of X: Powers of X by Jonathan Hickman. Okay, you don't I, like Jonathan Hickman. Do you remember that? 
I don't like Jonathan Hickman, and I've been somewhat of like I've been all the X Men reading I've been doing for so long now has been with the drive to get to this House of X, Powers of X stuff, okay. so I can be talking about the new stuff that's happening in X Men. Right. Uh, but I've also been kind of like worried because there's been a lot of changes and uh, concepts and stuff that I'm like I don't know if I want that in my X Men, but uh, I'm reading it anyway. And uh, it's it's very, very different. It, there's like, if you read the last Uncanny X-Men issue that was right before this, there's no segue into it. You oh. don't feel like okay. one led into the other. So I guess if I end up hating this, and this is the future of X-Men, I can just kind of put it in my headcanon that that not great Uncanny X-Men was the last X-Men, and now mm. this is like a reboot. Okay. So we'll see. Okay. But I've read the first three issues and I'm liking it. If I can kind of like depart myself, like this is just a weird sci-fi take on the uh, series, then I'm good. Mm-hmm. But there's definitely like, boy, these characters are acting real weird. So okay, I don't know. I, I, I hate to stop new concepts from happening in the X-Men comics because I only care about traditional X-Men stuff. Right. So we'll, uh, we'll see. Okay. I mean... Uh, it, it this thing has created as much conversation as uh, Grant Morrison's new X Men run, so <laughs> okay, it's probably the, the first time since Grant Morrison's run that the X Men have been like so discussed like this. Interesting, because I'm reading this on Marvel Unlimited. Yes, they've only just started putting the issues that follow this miniseries up, like the rebooted oh, line, okay, X Men and Marauders and all that stuff. So I have to decide if I'm going to wait until like the trade length is out or if I'll just read it as they put them out. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. A- after, once that's happened, I mean, this will be the first time in a very long time since like 2015 that I was basically caught up with the X-Men. That's cool. Uh, all right. Is that it for you? Yes. Okay. Oh, I watched Titanic. Oh, which you'd never, never seen, seen before, Titanic. correct? I also, yeah, I've never seen Titanic. Well, okay. I One time when I was a kid, it was on HBO and I had to like watch it and constantly change the channel and like wait to see if anybody was coming home because I wasn't allowed to watch Titanic. Oh, is that so R? Seen... Or is it PG-13? No, it's PG-13, okay, but I just remember. wasn't allowed to watch it, probably yeah. because of the Kate Winslet sure. uh, sketch scene. Sure, sure. Um, but So I watched it in pieces, but I've never watched it all the way through. And uh, I did, and it's mostly it's mostly good. I saw it in theaters, and I feel like maybe I have seen it since then, but I could not tell you the last time I watched that movie. My, I, my, I remember it being good. I remember liking yeah. it. No, it's good. You know, I actually think having watched A Night to Remember fairly recently before this made me not like it as much. Was the frame story as lame as I remember it? No, and I think, you know what? It, it's not really that lame. Okay. Uh, I think it to get to the ending, which is, it's still, you know, I didn't care so much for the love story, but the scene at the end with the staircase yeah. where all the, everybody who died in the Titanic. Oh, that, yeah, that's a good scene, yeah. That that scene got me choked up and everything, uh, teary-eyed. I think without the frame story, you don't really get that. Mm-hmm. You don't, it's hard to get to that moment, yeah. so. And Bill Paxton is, is yeah, it. Yeah, Bill Paxton, good. yeah. Yeah, Paxton, I don't know. I don't know why, I mean, Cameron and him were friends. It's weird to, like, Think of Paxson as like a blonde surfer dude, yeah. Titanic researcher with an ear, one yeah. earring. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there it was. So anyway, I think it still holds up. But I think if you want to see like the spectacle, but also learn, watching the uh, the fifties film A Night to Remember is a pretty good way to go. It, it, they deal with like the California as well, okay. the whole ship that was like 
in visual range of the Titanic that did not respond to their distress yeah. because they like, turned off the radio or That's just crazy. like ignored them. Like they, they were trying to do Morse code with light, like lanterns. They were that close. Yeah. I read a book several years ago, just a mystery novel called The Titanic Murders by mm-hmm. Max Allen Collins. And it was about a, uh, supposedly a, an actual murder, murder mystery author was on the Titanic and it with the story was it it also had a frame story and it was that they found there was a body in like one of the holds that was clearly like dead before the the ship went down oh, and so it yeah. sort of like goes backwards trying to figure out that mystery and i really like that that was a lot of fun mm. that's called the titanic murders max allen collins so that that was a good one the one issue uh, i mean i'm sure there is but uh with the night to remember the ship doesn't split in half oh because it wasn't uh yeah that was a that was a more recent uh yeah understanding, until wasn't it once they found the wreck in like the 80s yeah they re- realized it had split in half but mm-hmm. uh like half the people had said they heard it split in half and the other half were like it was just the engines and the yeah, holes right. and everything right. inside crashing so no one was really sure what happened so mm-hmm. though apparently in james cameron the ship tilts a little too high oh like the brake is a bit too too dramatic oh, so anyway yeah. 1997's titanic yeah wow <laughs> there's my review of the so. second highest movie of all time finally yeah so. finally tomorrow i'll watch avatar yeah oh yeah uh, no. you know <laughs> that's a funny transition into a book that i just finished are you ready for that i guess yeah uh you know i've been reading theft by finding diaries by david sedaris and okay. it covers 19, 1977 to 2002 and he was talking about, he's at this, you know, in, in the 90s, he's like going to a bunch of movies and stuff while he's sort of isolated in this town. And he talks about how he keeps seeing this. And this is prior to Titanic coming out. He's talking about how they keep like cramming this Titanic trailer down everybody's throat. And he's like, who who, who do they think is going to see this movie? You know, uh-huh. <laughs> which is pretty funny. That's all. Like that was prior he, to seeing it. David Sedaris is like, no one's ever going to watch this movie. <laughs> you know, that might that I was reading about uh, that the first trailer because Cameron took forever to he was so behind schedule and everything that rushed other movies into its summer date because it was supposed to come mm. out in June or July that the first trailer the effects weren't done so they just showed like a pre- pretty crappy trailer oh really so I oh. wonder if that's the one that Sedaris was probably you know, just like a probably. kind of a Vaseline coated lens of the Titanic yeah so yeah that's funny yeah. But like I was saying last week with this one, it, it, you know, it is mm-hmm. diary entries, so it's served best by short little bursts of reading or listening to the audiobook, as I did. But uh, I do recommend that for a Sedaris fan. I finished The Book of Longings by Sue Monk Kidd. So this was about um, a woman named Anna who ends up married to Jesus, like a biblical Jesus. And it does a really nice job of weaving together like historical facts and, and biblical stories and then this completely original story into a way that feels very believable. Like it was a very compelling book and I was really curious about how it was going to happen. Every once mm-hmm. in a while, it would start to feel just a touch like Lion King one and a half, you know, where like they're uh, they're commenting on like, oh, look at that thing over there. And it's like a well-known Bible story, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, so there's a few moments where I thought, so but overall, who's the Timon and Pumbaa? I guess that this? would be, I guess that would be Jesus's wife, Anna and her aunt. Are the Timon and Pumbaa. Are the Timon and Pumbaa, I guess. But uh, <laughs> no, it's okay. just in certain situations, it, it didn't feel like it 100% nailed the, like, casually mentioning, like, big biblical 
uh, mm-hmm. stories. But for the most part, it really did. And even the parts where I felt it was a little clunky didn't take away from the enjoyment of it. So I thought this book was really good. And it'll be interesting to see if it gets a lot of blowback. I haven't really heard anything about mm-hmm. it, but, you know. Yeah, this is, I think you're... You talking about it's the most I've heard about it's, it. I mean, it's been on the bestseller list. You know, mm-hmm. pe- people are reading it. Sue Monk Kid is a well-known author. So, you know, yeah. I haven't heard much, though. Um, I also finished a book called Why Fish Don't Exist by Lulu Miller. This was a weird, unpredictable book. That's sort of a, uh, it's a, it's a half memoir, half talking about a man who discovered like one fifth of all of the fish species in the world. And mm-hmm. it managed to like toe that line really well, where it would sort of meld back into her private life and then go back into like her historical research. So it was unexpected and constantly surprised me in which direction that it went. But that was that was a cool read. Uh, I've read a lot of comics, like while we're stuck home, and I have the both apps now. I've just been kind of bouncing back and forth between Marvel and DC, so I won't get into all of them. I did finish Wolverine First Class, a series started by Fred Van Lanty, who we had on the show. Uh, he was here mostly to talk about Spider-Man, though. You interviewed him about Wolverine and the X-Men and X-Men Noir over on your other podcast previously on yes. X-Men. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had only read maybe two of these volumes at but the time. But he hates the X-Men. But he hates the X-Men, yeah. And this series, so it starts with Fred Van Lenti, who writes three of five volumes. Peter mm-hmm. David comes in and writes the last two. And I've got to say, I prefer Van Lenti's. Because he, you remember this series. I mean, this is where uh, where he makes Wolverine like the ultimate hockey dad, you know? And like he, yeah. he and Kitty Pride have a fun relationship. By the time you get to the Peter David era, you can tell that he's trying to just write an X-Men book without the characters. And so it just feels, it goes from feeling like a unique little, you know, sort of all ages fun thing to feeling like just a slap together X-Men book. So I think it starts better than it ends. Yeah. Uh, then I went back and finished out another series that I'd been reading, which is the the Rebirth era of Cyborg, DC Comics character Cyborg. Yeah, yeah, so you that, won. You're getting your Snyder's cut. Yeah, yeah, I guess Congratulations. so. Congratulations. I guess that I, I'm not the one who wanted that though. I would take that Cyborg movie. I thought that <laughs> I I was so yeah. skeptical when they announced that, but I really I thought that I thought that the guy what is his name is it Ray Fisher who plays Cyborg in mm-hmm. in that okay. I thought he did such a good job playing Cyborg in that movie that I would be all about a Cyborg movie now. But that's never going to happen. Would you say? He's the Cyborg cut. I no idea. I, did you see those things about uh, uh, Henry Cavill might be coming back as Superman now? I did hear that, yeah. It was so funny. Somebody shared a tweet. It, it was one picture was Henry Cavill talking about how he's been spending quarantine painting Warhammer figurines. Yeah. And the next one was a picture of him ex- coming back as Superman. And the the text for the tweet was, my dude just realized how expensive this hobby yeah. is. Yeah, I did see that. That's pretty funny. <laughs> I, I'm surprised by that. But also, I mean, HBO Max, all of the... Uh, I that's the a, thing. I, a I wonder if that's advertising. it. A lot of advertising for that has been really mm-hmm. heavy on the DC movies. So Yeah, people are wondering, like... Is he coming back for uh, maybe Aquaman 2 yeah. or the next Shazam film? But I wonder if well, it's just him coming back to f- do the stuff for the it's Snyder possible. Cut. It's possible. Yeah. But, you know, Momoa is also, but Jason Momoa, who plays Aquaman in the films, uh, has also been really vocal about wanting Henry Cavill back. Like, I've heard several interviews with him saying, no, he'll definitely be back. So him showing up in Aquaman wouldn't surprise me either because mm-hmm. you know I think that's something I think I'm the only I think the only one who'd surprise me at this point is Affleck and I feel like I I'd, I'd be surprised either way. Yeah. 
Like if he doesn't come back or if he does come back. Yeah. He's the, all the powers in Affleck's hand, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, yeah. if they're making this, if you're not familiar with what the Snyder cut is, basically <laughs> Zack Snyder was making essentially a trilogy with Batman v Superman, Justice League Ooh. part one and Justice yeah. League part two, which never happened. Then when mm-hmm. Joss Whedon comes over and redoes Justice League, takes out a lot of the stuff that was setting up a, a sequel and makes it goofy, mm. I guess. I don't really know what he did. <laughs> now Snyder's cut is finally going to be out on HBO Max, but Snyder's Next cut was, year, yeah. was very much going to be a part one of two. So it's just kind of a puzzling thing to do. Yeah, because it's going to end on a cliffhanger. They're making yeah, they're making an open ended cliffhanger, which coincidentally is how my Cyborg Rebirth uh, era oh, ends. Oh no! So it's three volumes written primarily by John Semper Jr. Have you read his stuff? He's all over uh, the place. He's, no. he's got a lot of comic history. Um, and it's decent. It's it's a weird series. Like, I remember volume two, half of the book is, like, somebody mobilizing rats and cyborgs being, like, eaten by rats. And then in the next issue, he's stuck in, like, an 8-bit video game. So it was just, like, totally very strange. Mm-hmm. Um, the third volume actually was pretty cool, though. He's trapped in, like, an alternate digital world. And he teams up with the alt Beast Boy in there to try to figure out how to get out. I liked that. And then mm-hmm. uh, Kevin Graveau takes over the series and writes a couple issues that are set in Africa, which seemed to me like it was meant to be sort of a relaunch of the cyborg character. And then the fourth volume was canceled, and only three issues were actually made. And Marv Wolfman, who created Cyborg back in the what eighties, I guess seventies, eighties, yes. uh, wrote those three issues. But issue three is like coming up in the next issue, you know, and just completely is a dead halt. So. Mm-hmm. Not a great ending for the series, but uh, overall, I think it's a pretty decent showcase for the character. And certainly with uh, with being reminded by HBO Max and all that of, of how much I liked Cyborg in those movies, I would, mm-hmm. love to, I would love to see a Cyborg movie. And he's pretty cool in, the, in Doom Patrol as well. Right. So the character's been getting a lot of play lately, which I think is cool. Yeah. I'm currently reading God Help the Child by Toni Morrison. Good so far. I'm listening to this on audiobook, and I'm not... Um, I read Song of Solomon by her years back. This is the first time I'm listening to it on the audiobook, and she actually reads it herself. And <gasps> her reading of it is so good, you know, that that it's really, I'm really, like, wanting to listen to it. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm enjoying that so far. That's what I'm currently reading. I watched a bunch of stuff. Are you ready for this? Yeah. I watched The Lovebirds, Netflix movie with Kumail Nanjiani and Issa Rae. Have you seen this? Mm-mm it's pretty good i must have saw stuff about it it is it's about uh so they're they're a couple who is at the point where they're like breaking up when they stumble on like a murder and then they they don't trust to go to the police and so they decide that they want to like solve the mystery themselves so that they don't get blamed for it and you know hilarity ensues after that they do a good job of making making the mystery feel real, making it feel like a genuine mm-hmm. mystery that you're trying to figure out. And, you know, it's there's gen, like genuine menace uh, throughout it. But it also, I mean, those two actors together are just really funny. So I, I liked it quite a bit. Uh, we binged the series Never Have I Ever, which was really good. That's mm-hmm. a, we, we watched the whole, the whole season in one sitting. So that's twice in my life that that's happened. Uh, this was uh, written by Mindy Kaling. Or, you know, she writes several episodes and is the executive producer and all that. Really funny, really good. Uh, a lot of great acting in it. It cracked us up. We were completely hooked, so I'm ready for season two. Okay. We also finished season two of Dead to Me with Christina Applegate oh, yeah. and uh, Linda Cardellini. 
Uh, again, mm-hmm. a very, very twisty and compelling show. You keep thinking, certainly they can't go on this way, and they find another way to make it work. So mm. uh, I haven't heard. Have you heard? Is there a season three of this show? I haven't really been following it. Okay. Season two oh. surprised me. Yeah. Um, I hope there's a season three. I mean, they certainly set up a season three. So mm-hmm. uh, we'll see where that goes. But we finished that, and we started uh, Black AF, made by uh, Kenya Barris, who did like Blackish and all that. It's him mm-hmm. and Rashida Jones. Very right. funny. It's just really. I mean, those both of them, their their comedy styles together, I think work mm-hmm. really well, and it it killed us. So we're we're really liking that as well. Uh, you ready to get into some book news? Woo! I think that we should start with the nebulas. novella is Anxiety in the Dizziness of Freedom by Ted Chiang, The Haunting of Tramcar 015 by P. Jalay Clark, Her Silhouette Drawn in Water by Valyar Kaftan, The Deep by River Solomon, David Diggs, William Houston Hudson, and Jonathan Snipes, and Catfish Lullaby by A.C. Wise. The winner is This Is How You Lose the Time War. By Amal L. Matar and oh. Max Gladstone. Well, that's a very compelling title. I like that. Yeah. Hmm. And um, where was it? The Outstanding Dramatic Presentation, the Ray Bradbury okay. Nebula Award for Outstanding Dramatic Presentation, went to Good Omens, Hard Times. Hey, we were just Damon. talking about that. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right, you want to say the other nominees in there? Sure. Captain Marvel, the movie. The wow, so these are for 2019. This that feels like I know forever, it really does. Uh, yeah, The Mandalorian, The Child, Watchmen, A God Walks Into a Bar, Avengers Endgame, Russian Doll, The Way Out, and again, Good Omens, Hard Times. Still nothing so. for Discovery. Star Trek Discovery is never nominated for these things. Do you think it's not like trendy enough to nominate a Star Trek? I don't know. I just wonder. I mean, it's really solid sci fi in there, but all right, yeah. best novelette. Nominees include A Strange Uncertain Light by G.V. Anderson, For He Can Creep by Savone Carroll, His Footsteps Through Darkness and Light by Mimi Mondal, The Blur in the Corner of Your Eye by Sarah Pinsker, The Archronology of Love by Carolyn M. Yochim, and the winner, Carpe Glitter by Kat Rambo. Is that a, mm-hmm. uh, no, that sounds familiar to me. Do you know that author? Uh, yeah, I've seen uh, First Blood. <laughs> that's that's John Rambo, but I understand why you're. Why you're oh, okay, that's my confusion. Yeah, All let's right, let's so. look at the uh, the best short story. I usually read all of these, but I tell mm-hmm. you what, I just my quarantine brain, you know, I just uh, uh-huh. I, I didn't have it into me this time. I have read three of them, and actually the one that I the one that has won was my favorite of the three that I read. So you know, uh, do you want to say the nominees for this one? The Dead in Their Uncontrollable Power by Karen Osborne, and Now His Lordship is Laughing by Shiv Ramdas. Ten excerpts from annotated bibliography of the cannibal women of Ratnabar Island by Nibeta Sen, a catalog of storms by Fran Wilde, and How the Trick is Done by A.C. Wise. The winner goes to Give the Family My Love by A.T. Greenblatt. So this one is a lot of fun. I'd also read Catalog of Storms and How the Trick is Done, but I felt like of, of those three, I, this this was the most successful. The basic premise of this is an astronaut is on an, an alien planet, and she is there to 
get knowledge to save the earth. And it's mm-hmm. all in correspondence to a friend of hers back home named Saul. And it's a six-month gap in when she sends a message and when he gets the message. So it starts with her on this trek to even get to the to this like library on this other planet. That's like the first test if she can get to the library. And then once she gets there, it's sifting through like just an endless amount of information, trying to find what it is that's going to take her down the right path that will that will give some hope to Earth. And as she gets more and more engrossed in the things going on there, in the different uh, material that's at her at her fingertips, you got to get a sense that she's getting more and more detached from life on Earth. And I'll just leave it at that. But I thought that it was cool. I thought it was really well done. I liked it a lot. Mm. Uh, I've read something by Fran Wilde, the one who wrote uh, A Catalog of Storms. I read Updraft a while ago. Okay. Didn't love it. I didn't like this one so much either. It was, it had a very clear style. You know what I mean? Right. Like it, it wasn't, it, it stood out in that way. Like you could tell that she really had a mastery of like what she was doing there. It didn't mm-hmm. necessarily appeal to me, but it was interesting, you know? Right. Uh, she won though. Riverland, her newer book won for the, uh, Nebula award for middle grade and young adult fiction. Nice. And what are, uh, what are some of the other uh, nominees in there? Uh, Dragon Pearl by Yoon-ha Lee, Catfishing on Catnet by Naomi Kritzer, Sal and Gabby Break the Universe by Carlos Hernandez, Cog by Greg Van Ecott, and Peace Sprout Chen, Battle of Champions by Henry Lean. Game writing, uh, was this here last time? Actually, I was wondering that myself. I don't recall it. I guess I wouldn't put money on it either way, but I don't All remember right. this. Well, here. nominated was Fate Assis- Accessibility Toolkit, uh, Disco Elysium, The Magician's Workshop, Outer Wilds, but the winner went to The Outer Worlds. Is uh, this the game you always try to get me to play? Yeah, well, I mean, used to. Oh, you stopped, you gave up. <laughs> yeah, I've stopped trying to get you I'm to play I'm a lost now. cause, you understand. So, okay. uh, yeah, a lot of people are uh, feeling that that game does Fallout better than what Fallout does anymore. Oh, okay. So, and then the best novel. Do it. Marquet of Cain by Charles E. Gannon. The 10,000 Doors by of January by Alex E. Harrow. A Memory Called Empire by Arkady Martin. Uh, Gods of Jade and Shadow by Silver Moreno. Gideon the Ninth by Tamsin Muir. And A Song for a Day by Sarah Pinsker is the winner. Song for a New Day. Thank you very Song much. for a New Day. Yeah, sorry. It's not just a day. It is a new day. I'm unfamiliar with this. Well, then allow me to read you a synopsis. Mm-hmm. In this mm-hmm. captivating science fiction novel from award-winning author, public gatherings are illegal, making concerts impossible, except for those willing to break the law for the love of music and for one chance at human connection. So is this just Space Footloose? Yes, I suppose. Okay. In the before, space Footloose, yeah. When the government... We are a planet that can't dance. Well, I'm from dance... I'm from dance-topia planet. Did we feature this on a sexy new book club? Because this is sounding really familiar to me. Is in, this the time travel? I don't know. In the before, when the government didn't prohibit large public gatherings, Loose Cannon was on top of the world. One of her songs had just taken off, and she was on her way to becoming a star. Now in the right. after, terror attacks and deadly viruses have led the government to ban concerts and Loose's connection to the world. Her music, her purpose is closed off forever. She does what she has to do. 
She performs in illegal concerts to a small but passionate community, always evading the law. Rosemary Laws barely remembers the times before. She spends her days in hood space, helping customers order all of their goods online for drone delivery. No physical contact with humans needed. By lucky chance, she finds a new job and a new calling. Discover amazing musicians and bring their concerts to everyone via virtual reality. The only catch is that she'll have to do something she's never done before and go out in public. Find the illegal concerts and bring musicians into the limelight they deserve. But when she sees how the world could actually be, that won't be enough. Wow. Timely much? I mean, <laughs> it's science yeah. fact. Is that yeah. tech- is this even science fiction? Technically? Who, who would have thought that Footloose would be the movie of our revolution? I don't know. I no. don't know. Footloose kind of sucks. I don't know if that's... Uh, considered to be uh, the truth these days, but the not, the 80s film Footloose isn't good. It's not fun. It's boring, and there's no dancing until the very end, hmm. and it's just yeah, I don't get it. Wow. And even uh, even what's his name, who was from Footloose, who, Kevin Bacon, yes. he, he was saying about the, the new remake of Footloose, they have better dancing in that movie because hmm. they got actual dancers. Wow. So, I don't know. I didn't think you today was going to be the day when you had your sights set on the film Footloose, but yeah. it's sorry that it ever a, woke up I, this I, morning. See, I just don't get it. I don't get how, one, it blew up, and two, people still consider it a classic. Yeah. So Yeah, well, that's it. they do. Yeah. All right, so let's see what else is going on. Uh, instead of the New York Times bestseller list this week, we're going to look at a book a book list that Penguin Random House put out on their The Read Down. This is uh, books to read by contemporary black authors. Eric, you want to give us a top 10 on that list? Top 10. Well-read Black Girl by Glory Adim, an inspiring collection of essays by black women writers curated by the founder of the popular book club, Well-Read Black Girl, on the importance of recognizing ourselves in literature. Uh, Such a fun age. We've talked about this one. Yes, we have. By Kylie Reed, a striking, surprising debut novel from exhilarating new voice. Such a fun age is a page-turning, big-hearted story about race, privilege set around a young black babysitter, her well-intentioned employee, and a surprising connection that threatens to undo them both. Number three. Uh, The Girl with the Louding Voice by Abby Dare, a powerful, emotional debut novel in the unforgettable voice of a young Nigerian woman who is trapped in a life of servitude but determined to get an education so that she can escape and choose her own future. I Almost Forgot About You by Terry McMillan, best-selling author of How Stella Got Her Groove Back and Waiting to Exhale, is back to the inspiring story of a woman who shakes things up in her life to find greater meaning. Have you seen either of those movies? Have I? No. Me neither. Have I seen How Stella Got Her Groove Back? No. I haven't. I, I did I haven't. not. Okay. I don't think that was another... I think that's another movie I probably wasn't allowed to you see had, when I was... You could only watch five-minute segments of that movie <laughs> in case your mom came in. Yeah. Uh, Red at the Bone by Jacqueline Woodson. An unexpected teenage pregnancy pulls together two families from different social classes and exposes the private hopes, disappointments, and longings that can bind or divide us for each other. From the National Book Award winning author of Another Brooklyn and Brown Girl Dreaming. Homecoming. I've read several of her picture books to my son. Mm -hmm. I, I always enjoy them. Homecoming by Yeah Gassi. Homecoming follows the parallel paths of two sisters and their descendants through eight generations from the Gold Coast to the plantations of Mississippi. Uh, I screwed up saying Mississippi there, but that's the word I meant to say. From the American Civil War to the Jazz Age Harlem, Yeah Gassi's extraordinary novel illuminates slavery's troubled legacy both to those who were taken and those who stayed and shows how the memory of captivity has been inscribed in the soul of our nation. What is not yours is not yours by Helen... Oyami, Helen Oyami's tale spans multiple times and landscapes as they tease boundaries between coexistent realities. Is a key a gate, a gift, or an invitation? 
This, I'm pretty sure, was shortlisted for, I want to say the National Book Award. I don't remember, but I remember talking about this one because, again, I put a hold on it and it didn't get to me in time. Drinking Coffee Elsewhere by ZZ Packer. With penetrating insight, ZZ Packer helps us see the world with clearer vision. Drinking Coffee Elsewhere is striking performance, fresh, versatile, captivating. I Now I've said coffee three times. Did we summon your wife? Yeah, she's, she's here. She's saying, <laughs> where is it? <laughs> Loving Day by Matt Johnson, a frequently hilarious, surprisingly moving story about blacks and whites, fathers and daughters, the living and the dead. Loving Day celebrates the wonders and opposites bound in a love. I had to take a moment because when I heard living and the dead, I assumed it was a zombie book. But then I was like, oh, wait, no, that's just how you would talk about the living and the dead. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Behold the Dreamers by Imbolo uh, Mbu. A compulsively readable debut novel about marriage, immigration, class, race, and the trapdoors in the American dream. The unforgettable story of a young Cameroonian couple making a new life in New York just as the Great Recession upends the economy. All right. This was an Oprah's book club, as you'll recall. Uh-huh. All right. Thank you. Uh, so that list, and there's there's many more on the list, too. We'll put that out on Twitter. But that was put together by Penguin Random House. So check that out and check out any and all of these books. Speaking of books, Eric, are you ready to get into our main segment? Yep, where we talk about the movie Clueless. We don't have we don't have music for this. Uh, are we going to talk about Clueless? Because I have a confession to make to you right here, right now. I've never mm-hmm. seen Clueless. Oh well, I had never seen it. My wife showed it was her pick. Uh, it's funny. It fe- even though it was made in 1995, it feels like it was made now as a parody of the 90s. <laughs> the <laughs> things funny. it like comments on and focuses on, it makes it feel like the pe- they were making it. They're like, this is going to be silly in 15 years, That's and funny. they were right. It almost makes you think somebody hated Alicia Silverstone and was trying to kill her career with Batman and Robin because <laughs> she's so good in Clueless. Yeah, and absolutely miscast as Batgirl. Oh it's, sure, it's too bad. She should have like gone on to do lots more movies like that. But yeah. anyway, we're not really talking about Clueless, and we do have music for this. This sounds like this seems like a through the ages kind of. <gasps> You're right. Intro. I love that yeah. theme. Let's do it. me right to sleep Uh, our topic today was uh chosen by one eric mickles and that is to take a look at some of the books that we think might be classics for the next generation the new classics it's classics it's both both crystal pepsi and new coke Hmm. and i think both of those are very successful yes oh sure people people loved them so anyway, I put together a list here of, it's a combination of things from other lists, from things that have been popular in our library. And, <laughs> 250! <laughs> tried to stick to things that seem like they're going to have longevity, might be some things that, you know, it might be on reading lists in the future, that sort of thing. So it's a mix of all different things. And so I just want to get this one right out of the way to start with, because, um, you know, I've been critical of this book, and I just, I want it, I just want to get it out of the way. And that is... Where the crawdads are sing. Where the crawdads sing. Where the crawdads sing. We know where they are. Where the it's crawdads where sing. sing uh, by Adelia Owens came out in 2018. So listen, we've had a lot of since in the 250 episodes we've been doing this podcast, we've had a lot of books that have popped up on the New York Times bestseller list and have stayed a very long time. The Nightingale by Kristen Hanna, for example, comes to mind. The reason why I think that crawdads is gonna outlast some of the other ones that had a similar uh, impact when it first came out, is because it is unique. 
Uh, its setting is unique. I think I think the protagonist is not one that you're going to find in a lot of different books. Whereas something like the Nightingale is kind of a soapy World War II novel, and there are that I mean that's that's a genre within itself. There are many many of those, many that are better than the Nightingale. Many that I think have legs long beyond what Nightingale will have. So that's not just throw shade at the Nightingale. I'm just saying this. Crawdads, I think, because because of its unique story, its unique heroine, coupled with the fact that it is an immensely readable book. So I wouldn't put this on a top 10 personal list. Um, I read it and I read it very quickly and I was very intrigued the whole time. I think it's one that you have to sort of be like, okay, sure, I'll buy it for the purpose of this book. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's without its flaws, but I understand fully why it has had the popularity that it's had this whole time. And for that right. reason, I think this is going to be one that, you know, we're going to see popping back. I could see, you know, in like 40 years, there's going to be you know, a contemporary looking paperback cover for this one and people are going to mm. rediscover it again. Mm-hmm. So. If you don't know, I'll give you just a uh, a synopsis here. For years, rumors of the Marsh Girl have haunted Barkley Cove, a quiet town on the North Carolina coast. So in late 1969, when handsome Chase Andrews is found dead, the locals immediately suspect Kaya Clark, the so-called Marsh Girl. But Kaya is not what they say. Sensitive and intelligent, she has survived for years alone in the marsh that she calls home, finding friends in the gulls and lessons in the sand. Then the time comes when she yearns to be touched and loved. When two young men from town become intrigued by her wild beauty, Kaya opens herself to new life until the unthinkable happens. Perfect for fans of Barbara King, Solver, and Karen Russell, according to Goodreads. I don't know if I agree with that. Where the Crawdad <laughs> sings is at once an exquisite ode to the natural Same. world, a heartbreaking coming-of-age story, and a surprising tale of possible murder. Owens reminds us that we are forever shaped by the children we once were, and that we're all subject to the beautiful and violent secrets that nature keeps. So mm-hmm. this book was selected for Reese Witherspoon's book club. It was one of Barnes & Noble's best books of 2018. By December of 2019... Uh, as of December 2019, the mm-hmm. book had sold over 4.5 million copies, more print copies in 2019 than any other adult title in fiction or nonfiction. Goodness. Uh, was number one for 2019 and was on Amazon's list of most sold books in fiction. So mm-hmm. uh, this has a lot of bragging rights. So mm. uh, this is probably not one that's ever going to be on your list. Probably not. You don't like mysteries? Uh, I don't like mysteries. I loathe mysteries. Okay. I realize there was something we watched recently. I'm like, oh, right. I don't like mysteries. Yeah. I, I tend to be a little bit more picky with like my contemporary fiction. Okay. The next one here, Zadie Smith's White Teeth, which came out in 2000. The only Zadie Smith that I'm familiar with is On Beauty, which uh, we did for a book club a while back, a modern take on Howard's End. So I've not, I've not read White Teeth, but mm. it was one that, as I researched, this showed up on many, many lists. Did you bump up against this one as you were looking? I, I don't recognize that title okay. at all. All right. Well, it won multiple honors, including the 2000 James Tate Black Memorial Prize for Fiction, the 2000 White Bread Book Award in category of Best First Novel, uh, the Guardian's First Book Award, and it was on their list of Best of the 21st Century. You know what I call the White Bread Award? What? The Nicholas Holt Award. <laughs> Your vendetta he, against Nicholas he Holt. He actually, actually, he wins that every year. Does he? He's always the, uh, the winner. Yeah, Lifetime that, Achievement Award. For he seems like White a Bread. nice actor who's done nothing to you. Mm. Uh, white teeth by yeah i don't even recognize this cover okay just all red very bold well it was very popular and i'm not done with the awards yet because it also won the commonwealth writers first prize book the betty trask award time magazine included in its list of 100 best english language novels from 1923 to 2005 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so the synopsis for this is at the center of this invigorating novel are two unlikely friends, Archie Jones and Samad Ball, hapless veterans of World War II. Archie and Samad and their families become agents of England's irrevocable transformation. A second marriage to Clara Bowden, a beautiful, albeit tooth-challenged Jamaican half his age, quite literally gives Archie a second lease on life and produces Irie. A knowing child whose personality doesn't quite match her name, Jamaican for no problem. Samad's late in life arranged marriage, uh, he had to wait for his bride to be born, produces twin sons whose separate paths confound Iqbal's every effort to direct them and a renewed if selective submission to his Islamic, Islamic faith. Set against London's racial and cultural tapestry, venturing across the former empire and into the past as it barrels towards the future. White teeth revels in the ecstatic hodgepodge of modern life, flirting with disaster, confounding expectations, and embracing the comedy of daily existence. Zadie Smith is an is a author that I've long been interested in. Um, on Beauty, as I said, was the only one that I've actually like picked up and read myself. But this sounds intriguing to me, and it's she frequently pops up on when you're looking at like best contemporary authors, that sort mm-hmm. of thing. This is a name that you'll see over and over again. Next on my list is another one that we've talked about quite a bit, and that is The Underground Railroad by Colson. Yeah, Whitehead. you're not a huge fan of everything that's becoming a mo- uh, the new classic, Nick. Well, I think the thing is with The Underground Railroad, I went in with very specific expectations. I guess I thought that it was going to be more sci-fi than it actually ended up being. And while, like, I don't think that it... It wasn't my dry reading of the book that moved me towards this one so much as other people's response to it and how much mm-hmm. how much praise and attention it's been able to get. And I think, you know, it's a good reminder that that not all books are, are written, like, from my perspective, and not all books are written specifically for me to enjoy or not. And this book, I think, is one that has been able to transcend lists of things that are popular and things that are critically acclaimed and, you know, given sort of a scholarly status. This is a rare example of a book that's been able to do both. And I think you can likely say the same of its follow-up, The Nickel Boys, which came out in 2019 and just won the Pulitzer Prize for Mm -hmm. fiction. The Underground Railroad was the winner of the Pulitzer Prize, so that's two, uh, and the National Book Award, the number one New York Times bestseller. Uh, Colson Whitehead is it's a magnificent tour de force chronicling a young slave's adventure as she makes a desperate bid for freedom in the antebellum South. And what's unique about the book is that it that it reimagines the Underground Railroad as a literal railroad underground. Right. And yeah. as each stop she makes, it, it's sort of like coming into a new world of, of different perspectives. And, you know, this character is really put through the ringer and, and you see things, you see things from all sides and it just is, um, I mean, it's, it, it is an upsetting book too. I mean, when, when you, anytime you're confronted with the horrors of slavery, I mean, it's a, it's a difficult and challenging book to read uh, mm-hmm. for, for that reason. And I think it does handle that very well. Uh, and and has continued to remain on top 10 lists and was just as popular in paperback. So certainly one that's here to say, as is the Nickel Boys. So if you're not familiar with the mm-hmm. Nickel Boys, um, this was based on the a real story of a reform school. In it Florida. was on that list that we were just Penguin's list. Was it was it? further okay. down than the 10 okay. we yeah. were listing off. Not yeah. surprising. Uh, the real story of a reform school in Florida that operated for 111 years and warped the lives of thousands of children. Mm-hmm. The Nickel Boys is a devastating, driven narrative that showcases a great American novelist writing at the height of his powers. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a pretty powerful one-two punch, I think, with the Underground Railroad and Nickel Boys as a follow-up because both of them, I think, did did the, did a very similar thing in that they that they reached 
you know, your average reader, as well as, you know, the upper echelons of what's considered to be, you know, a scholarly important work. So, I mean, that's, mm-hmm. a, that's, that's a pretty powerful, uh, pretty powerful back-to-back catalog there. Mm-hmm. Uh, next, let's, let's talk Life of Pi. You're familiar with this one? I like the movie. Okay. That's, I uh, thought it that... should have won instead of Argo that year. Mm, well, for I, best picture. I wasn't, uh, I didn't think Argo was Ben Affleck's strongest anyway. Uh, mm. So, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. Jan Martel's Life of Pi came out in 2001. This one, I feel like you're going to see on reading lists for decades to come, wouldn't you say? Mm-hmm, probably. Yeah. Uh, so, Life of Pi is a Canadian philosophical novel by Jan Martel, published in 2001. The protagonist, Pi, uh, is an Indian boy from Pondicherry who explores issues of spirituality and mes- metaphysics from an early age. He survives 227 days after a shipwreck while stranded on a lifeboat in the Pacific Ocean with a Bengal tiger which raises questions about the nature of reality and how it is perceived and told. Yeah. So it it sold more than 10 million copies. It was one of those books that was rejected by at least five publishers before it was accepted. Mm-hmm. Uh, published in Canada in September of 2001. Won the Man Booker Prize for Fiction. Uh, it was chosen as Canada Reads for 2003. Won the Boke Prize, a South African Novel Award. And in 2004, it won the Asian Pacific American Award for Literature and Best Adult Fiction. And as you said, it was adopted into, adapted into a feature film by Ang Lee in 2012. Tell me a little bit about the movie. And it's very good. It's just uh, one of those movies that's more, uh, I don't know, it's it's more experiential in okay. a lot of ways. Uh, it's a movie that feels like it's focusing on how to make you feel nece- as opposed to maybe like telling just a straightforward story. So uh, it's got a tiger in it, the whole movie. <laughs> Have so, you ever been, I mean, it's, it's a book that's I've been never on been my on list. A boat you with know, a tiger, one of those. No. Oh, you really haven't? No. Okay. All right. It seems like it'd be scary. Yeah, it it does. It does seem scary, but they kind of work out a good uh, relationship, I think. Okay. So. All right. Next on the list, I have a Joyce Carol Oates here. And this was kind of a hard one because I think you could make a case for several of her books, like Garden of Earthly Delights or Them or Blonde. But ultimately, I think We Were the Mulvaney's is probably going to be the one that continues to resurface. Um, The story is one that, I mean, just remains tragic and topical it's about violence towards a young girl and she the the stigma of that makes it so that she ends up being the sort of embarrassment to her family and it Mm -hmm. just destroys her life and Mm -hmm. and she has to just cope with that really on her own so it is a very sad and and difficult book to read as many Joyce Carol Oates books are but without giving too much away I think this manages uh a hopefulness that you don't often see in, in Joyce Carol Oates books. And I think it's stronger for that. Uh, this was featured on Oprah's book club in January of 2001, five years after it came out. Uh, it was made into a movie with Blythe Danner the following year. Uh, very good book. One, one we did as a book club uh, for the library here. And like I said, I think it's one that's going to keep coming back. Um, and, and is just, is just very well done. Mm-hmm. Uh, next on my list, I have Jessamyn Ward's Sing Unburied Sing. So this came out in 2017. A searing right. and profound Southern Odyssey by National Book Award winner Jessamyn Ward. In her first novel since her National Book Award winning Salvage the Bones, uh, which was another one that was super popular, and we, we were hearing about this everywhere. 
the singular American writer brings the archetypal road novel into rural 21st century America. Drawing on Toni Morrison, Faulkner, the Odyssey, and the Old Testament, Ward gives us an epochal story. A journey through Mississippi's past and present that is both an intimate portrait of a family and an epic tale of hope and struggle. Ward is a major American writer, multiply awarded and universally lauded, and in Sing Unburied Sing, she is at the height of her powers. It was the winner of the National Book Award. It was a finalist for the Kirkus Prize, finalist for the Andrew Carnegie Medal, and the New York Times Top 10 Best Book of the Year. Next on the list, I have Toni Morrison's Beloved, which came out in 1987. It won the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction in 1988, was a finalist for the 1987 National Book Award, and was adapted to a 1998 movie of the same name, starring Oprah Winfrey. A New York Times survey of writers and literary critics ranked it as the best work of American fiction from 1981 to 2006. Uh, this is another that is on most lists when you're talking about, you know, the the best best novels of the last half century. Beloved uh, by Toni Morrison shows up many, many times here. Uh, I have not read this one. Like I said, I've read Song of Solomon and I'm, I'm currently reading uh, one of one of her later books. Um, but I, I've not read Beloved, nor have I seen the movie. Are you familiar with this movie? Beloved? No. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Eric, talk to me about this next one. Uh, Michael Shabon's uh, Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay came out in 2000. Yeah, didn't I... Uh, was I not reading this when we were doing the podcast? Yeah, you were. I was. Yeah. Okay, yeah, it's basically a fictional retelling of uh, Jason... Oh, boy, the Superman creators, not Jason. Oh, Jerry Siegel, Joe Schuster. Yes, um, and Cavalier and Clay are the ones who are the writing writer and author of The Escapist, who is a uh, superhero comic creation of theirs. And it's just kind of about their contract with little sides about the comic history and the history around New York and the world at this time. But it deals with a lot of other different issues, uh, relationships, faith, and all that. So it's not just about that. I definitely preferred it when it was just like, boy, making a superhero comic in the 40s. I was like, cool, but there's a lot going on there. The concept of them being these comic creators in the style of the Superman creators is kind of more the floorboard for the rest of the book. This one stands out in my mind because... So this won the Pulitzer Prize in 2001 and was just everywhere. 2001 is when I started working in libraries, my first library job. And so this book was often requested and it was everywhere. And I was always intrigued by it because the cover was very comic booky. And, you know, I was just always so intrigued by this book. So it's one that stands out in my mind as sort of connected to when I first started working in libraries. But uh, it came out to almost unanimous praise. I mean, it was really one of those books that um, was not divisive. Like everybody was was on board for this book, it felt like at the time. Uh, so it was nominated for the 2000 National Book Critics Circle Award and the Penn Faulkner Award for Fiction. And in 2007, the New York's Review of Book called it his magnum opus. Uh, this is another mm-hmm. that you're going to see on list after list of what a contemporary classic is. Um, so for that reason, it's here. And I know this was one that, that you enjoyed quite a bit as well, Eric. Have you read any of his other books? I was reading, I'm in the middle of, uh, or at the beginning of, uh, the Yiddish Policeman Union. Okay. So far, so good. Yeah, yeah. I just I don't have a physical copy of it at the moment. Oh yeah. So yeah, I so I haven't read these. I have seen Star Trek Picard, and I'm not a fan, but I think that this book would probably be better. Let's see. I got two more on my list here. Anthony Dewar's All the Light We Cannot See, which came out in 2014. So at the top of this, I was talking about the Nightingale and how there's many a better World War II books. Here's an example. 
Mm-hmm. This won the 2015 Pulitzer Prize for Fiction and the 2015 Andrew Carnegie Medal for Excellence in Fiction. Right. So the plot of this, Marie Laurie lives in Paris near the Museum of National History, where her father works. When she's 12, the Nazis occupy Paris, and father and daughter flee to the walled citadel of St. Malo, where Marie Laurie's reclusive great-uncle lives in a tall house by the sea. With them, they carry what might be the museum's most valuable and dangerous jewel. Elsewhere, in a mining town in Germany, Werner Fennig, an orphan, grows up with his younger sister, enchanted by a crude radio they find that brings them news and stories from places they've never seen or imagined. Werner becomes an expert at building and fixing these crucial new instruments and is enlisted to use his talent to track down the resistance. Deftly interweaving the lives of Marie Laurie and Werner, Dürer illuminates the ways against all odds. People try to be good to one another. What is so compelling about this book is many things, but one of them is the way that you're seeing these horrible events unfold from two people who start young and innocent on very different sides of it. The way Werner goes through and has his spirit and his resolve broken, um, Mm -hmm. being sort of pushed into a way of thinking and a lifestyle that is the opposite of what he wants is so heartbreaking that you just feel it every step of the way. This was uh, this was a very powerful book, and this this is one that I see popping up on two read lists. You know, possibly at schools, but I think that one's gonna uh, be around for a while. Mm-hmm. My final on the list here is a graphic novel, Persepolis by Marcus Entropy. Came out in two thousand. A sequel followed, Persepolis two in two thousand four, and a movie version in two thousand seven. Mm-hmm. I've actually only seen the movie. Is this one that you've read? I have. Yes. And what are your thoughts? Very on good. It? Yeah, it's very good. It's just kind of like a, this is what life is like here during uh, Iran during the Islamic Revolution, mm-hmm. childhood and uh, having to be more worldly than a lot of other people at certain ages. The ways we try to create normalcy, even if it's just putting up a poster in our bedroom and her having to leave her parents behind, you know, just uh, a lot of different stuff in there. Yeah, well, and speaking just just from the movie's perspective, I mean, it's. It's again, it's sort of, sort of like in all the light we cannot see with Warner, as, as you're seeing things happen through the eyes of a child, things that they don't understand, directions that they're being pushed that don't make sense to them, and they sort of just have to go along with it because they don't have the power to do things about it. The way that that the character in this book has to adapt and see so much change in her life completely upended, you know, from from the time we start to the time we get to the end, it's illuminating, I think, to to look in on on that time in history. It's a very powerful, simple presentation of something that is very complex. And I think mm-hmm. it really succeeds in that. Yeah. That's another one. I saw like Mouse on a lot of lists and that sort of thing. Yeah, Mouse is definitely one. Uh, though it came out in 96 and I was having a hard time deciding like where the line is. I know. For like new classics because yeah. I feel like because somewhere like Harry Potter. Well, everybody now considers Harry Potter, you know, the classic and stuff. Yeah. So like how far back are we going? But yes, yeah. Mouse is definitely one. Yeah, a lot of the lists I I was looking at, too, it was like giving books that were in 1950 and stuff. And I was just like, yeah, Entertainment Weekly has like 100 books of the new classics, but it's from like 1985. And I'm like, I don't think people are like, Neuromancer's a classic. Yeah. Yeah. If it won uh, the Hugo, that was the other thing, not picking books that uh, like won the Hugo and are now just like, you know, forever locked in in these lists yeah the majority of minds were like you know from 2000 yeah. on the oldest being we were the multi do you think so. because where the crawdads thing has been 89 weeks on the new york Times bestsellers list do you think little fires everywhere would also count now 
67 weeks on the list. Well, I mean, there was a lot of... You think that's going to last beyond the show hype? There was a lot of different factors to that. And I considered that one, but I ultimately didn't because I, I don't know that that has the legs to be popular you know, even five years from now, I think it's, I, I think it's a really good book. I, I thought it was, I thought it was re- well written and very intriguing, but it's such a hard, it's such a hard line to try to decide, like, is this going to stay around forever? And I feel like the passion around this book had already pretty largely died down to it just being, um, mm-hmm. you remember that book that came out a few years ago until the show came back and brought it back to the top again. But I think that, once the show goes down, I think that's going to be a pretty steep taper mm. off the list. Okay. Um, I don't think its reputation is going to go down. I don't think that right. it's going to be like, oh, that book. But mm-hmm. I think that I think that uh, you know, fifty years from now or whatever, I think mm-hmm. where the crawdads sing is probably going to be a little bit more uh, in people's awareness than Little Fires. Yeah. Uh, but so I don't know. Books. I mean, I don't know any of these. You know. Yeah. So young adult books that I'm sure are now, you know, going to be being read in high schools Fire uh, forever uh, or for a very long time. The Hate You Give, which is still on the New York Times bestsellers list hardcover, yep. 169 weeks on this list. Uh, so The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas, I believe, is going to unfortunately still be relevant for a very long time. Yes. Hunger Games by Susan Collins is feels like the new... Um, I wanted to say Hatchet, but also Lord of the Flies mm. go to now. Yeah. So I think The Hunger Games is. Uh, if you, if you have to pick one John Green, it's probably going to be The Fault in Our Stars. I'm not a huge John Green fan, so what do I know? Mm-hmm. It seems like Looking for Alaska is often the one that people are are mm. pulling forward. Do you think that's true, or do you think? May I feel like you could talk to John Green fans, and they're all going to have their favorite. I yeah. think. Yeah. Eleanor and Park mm. is a uh, good. That's. 2012. It feels older, but maybe that's how you know something's a new classic. Yeah. I think that one is uh, I agree a bit with you. younger. I, I think Rainbow Rowell is a name that is going to be yeah. around in people's minds for a long time. Yeah. yeah. I think younger, you're going to get the crossover in the war that saved my life mm, are going to yep. be I, considered I uh, classic. But those are also Newberry winners, so maybe they don't necessarily count. I'm not sure if me, Earl, and the Dying Girl is one that's going to be counted as like a new classic. No. Or if it's, you know, in a couple of years, people aren't even going to remember what it I was. I don't know. I thought that but, book, when we read that, I thought that one felt a little dated as is. But yeah, know, maybe I'm a little uh, dated. I don't know. The Perks of Being a Wallflower came out in 1999, but, you know, depending on how far you want to go back. If, if we're saying the past 20 years, then that one doesn't count. But yeah, one, I think... That one uh, kind of goes in waves, I feel like. with I feel like you don't hear anything about that book for a while, and then a new mm, group, you know, a new generation has sure. found it, and suddenly it's, you know, it's on the top again. So, yeah, I, yeah. I could see that one. Um, heavy stuff in that book. Yeah. Uh, all right. I, I was also thinking World War Z is you know, didn't win any uh, Hugos or anything. That's, I think, always going... It's going to be a long time, I think, until another book, if ever, comes around. It's like, this is the definitive zombie book now. Mm, yeah, that's so, true. Yeah, um, yeah. And Lovecraft Country is uh, much newer, but I think, especially after the movie uh, comes out, that Jordan... Movie or HBO? I can't remember which one it is. Uh, I remember Jordan Peele's producing it, Um Whenever whatever new media uh, Lovecraft Country becomes comes out, more people will read Lovecraft Country, and I think it's not uh, going to go away because mm-hmm. I think um, okay, interesting. Yeah, I think that's 
a pretty good classic. Um, again, also very relevant in a lot of ways. Uh, let's see. You know, I was looking at some fantasy books I read, and I don't really know, outside of, like, award winners, it's hard to pick. For a while, I would have said The Name of the Wind, which is probably true, but I've soured on it since I finished The Wise Man's Fear. Right. But I think it's still one that, like, people are like, oh, you have to read this. Um, and the same thing with, like, Brandon Sanderson's, I guess, with him, you either you have to pick one and decide that is it like is it his misborn book or is it the way of kings mm. book i don't know which one people would argue for more right now way of kings i i don't know which one i would have given those to and probably did ocean at the end of the lane win a hugo was that oh an award winner the neil gaiman book right yeah i think it won something okay but yeah that that one for sure. I think The Martian, it didn't win any, uh, it didn't win the Hugo. Wait, yes, it did. Just to answer your question about the ocean at the end of the lane, it was nominated for the Nebula Award. So okay. It didn't win yeah. it. But it did yeah. win the Locus Award and, the world, and it was nominated mm-hmm. for a World Fantasy Award. The Martian was nominated in 2016 for the John W. Campbell Award for Best New Writer. Okay. But I, I think that one is, uh, you know... The new, it's one we always come back to when we're thinking oh, sure. of uh, yeah. like those kind of books. Station Eleven, I I don't know. I want to say Station Eleven, but I don't know how often it's being picked up today. That feels a little bit more niche. That feels like kind of a if you're in the know sort of a book rather. Yeah, than a, that might be know. true. Yeah. Uh, have you read a Stephen King book lately that you think is like the new classic Stephen King? I always come back to Bag of Bones. That's a more recent one. And I mean, I think probably it's 20 years old now, but I think that one is good to set aside, you know, some of the, the best of the mm-hmm. best of his, you know, the stand and the What's the, the Mr. Mercedes? No, I wouldn't. I love Finders Keepers, but okay. that's right smack dab in the middle of a trilogy that I think is bad. So oh, okay. I think that's going to hold it back. Um, right. I, I would love to say 112263 because I think it's an amazing book, but uh, I don't think that that will... That that you will stick around. Is the... I could see Bag of Bones, yeah, as being a sort of a, a, a latter day Stephen King that has, you know, some possibly under the dome, though I thought it was terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's hard to say. Yeah. It's hard to say when they're so prolific. You know, it's kind of like with George Carol Oates. She has so many things to choose from, mm-hmm. you know. Do you think uh, Daisy Joan and the Six? You know, I guess it, it was a bestseller for quite a while and it's won some awards. Uh, and the thing that that has going for it is that it's timeless. You know, it's not mm-hmm. it's not set in like 2010 or something like that. You know, I mean, it's, right. the style of it lends itself to be relevant anytime that you pick it up. So I think it's got, you know, that's that's a good plus for a book having longevity. Um, mm-hmm. I think it will sort of depend on that author's trajectory from here on out. Uh, sure. Jenkins Reid. Um, but I yeah. think it's a contender. Sure. Uh, then we should probably also decide whether or not Gone Girl or Girl in the Train no. are. But I think I think Gone Girl is probably gonna last. I don't know about Girl in the Train because I I had a bad time reading that book. But I don't. I think no. The, that's hard. That's hard because those feel so of their time. I think if anyone yeah, was... but so does something like the Da Vinci Code, and like people still read that. Yeah, but I think people read the Da Vinci Code a little differently now than they did then. I sure. think it's a little bit more popcorny now. Okay. Um, I think if any from that genre were going to stick, uh, it would be Gone Girl. I just don't know. Maybe. Mm. Maybe. Mm. I considered it, but ultimately didn't put it on my list because I don't okay. really think so. Okay. Who, who else is like a big author that has written something that we should 
decide whether or not that's a classic. Well, Leanne Moriarty, I think. I oh, think yeah. You, I think you could make a case for A Big Little Lies or something like that. It certainly was a phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think, like, a Nicholas Sparks is going to make that. No, cut. I don't think he's had a, a, a new, like, classic no. in a while. No. So, sorry, Nicholas Sparks. Yeah. I don't All know. Right. I mean, I'm sure there's a million that we're missing. Yeah. Know? And, and yeah. ones that will surprise us. Yeah. Woo. All right. Well, that was interesting. Thanks. Thanks for the topic, buddy. That was a good. That was a good conversation. Uh, I do have some library news that I can share, mm-hmm. so I'll mention that first. YA for Adults book club that uh, Kate and I are doing is Sorcery of Thorns by Margaret Rogerson, and I went to get our copy the last time I was in the library. Couldn't find it anywhere. It says it's checked in. Couldn't find mm-hmm. it anywhere. So that's, that's a new one. That's rough. Yeah. Yeah. It is relatively new. You're gonna You're gonna read this. Sorcery of Thorns? Yeah. I don't know if it's my thing. Not in your wheelhouse. Well, it's not my thing either, but uh, it, it, was a, it was a, I don't think it was the winner, but it was up for a Goodreads Choice Award in YA Fantasy last year, and uh, that's, that's Kate's genre, so we'll, uh, we'll see how that goes. But that's <laughs> going to be June 30th that we're going to be discussing that, most likely uh, in, a, in a digital format as we have been. We are at this point, and things change so quickly, it's hard to say, but we are looking at resuming some curbside pickup for library materials uh, on June 29th. So we're working out the kinks of that right now, but that's uh, that's the plan as we record right now. Unless things change drastically, that's what we're planning on doing. So you can look forward to that, and we'll get out information on how to do that. But uh, it's exciting. It's weird. Mm-hmm. It's weird that uh, we've been shut down for as long as we have, like some, yeah, 75 right? days, something like that. Yeah. Um, pretty weird. It's weird to go in there now. Uh, the last time I was in the library, all the furniture was pushed out of the way and everything because for cleaning. Um, cleaning. They've been working on doing the woodwork and that sort of thing, which you can't do when people are in there because of the fumes and all that. So right. um, it's it's looking great, but it just feels so strange to have the place be empty. Right. So I'm looking forward to whenever the time comes that so we can safely get back to it. But we're certainly mm-hmm. not certainly not going to rush it. Boy, next week, Eric, another milestone, episode 251. Yeah, everybody Can is usually a huge fan of episode 251. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's yep. the thing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there was no episode zero, right? So doesn't that mm. doesn't that make it so? Yeah. I can never. Yeah, um, there was no episode you know. zero. That's yeah. a good point. Thank you. And with all the off the books and uh, interviews and quarantines that have been yeah. happening lately, I mean, we're, we're in the 280s by now. I think we are something like that. I think it's actually, yeah. there's like 270 tracks or something. But yeah. yeah. Quite a few. Well, I think that's going to do it for episode. Sorry, just a hair, a hair too soon. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, this YouTube thing is being annoying. Do you want me to do it again? It's just called DJ Airhorn Sound Effect. It's got seven point eight million views. Wow. Well, you're one of them. All right, let's yeah. let's see if we can get our timing. Are you ready? All right. Yeah. Well, I think that's going to do it for episode two fifty. See, now you're, the, you're on the other side of it now, though. That's the Hold problem. On. Okay. All right. It's a Epis- seventeen second video. Episode two fifty. Hold on. No, wait. Okay, I'll tell you what I'm ready. Okay, Hold tell on. me. Yes, please. Why can't I? Listen, <laughs> we've only done this this episode, so this isn't... Ugh. Oh, boy. Stop. Ah. Hello. Okay. Ready? Hold on. No. Yes. All right. You ready? All right. Yeah. Ready? Yeah. Okay, say it. Well, Eric, I think that's going to do it for episode 250. <laughs> I thought we had it. flawless why don't you just edit out the space okay i will all right all right that's gonna do it for episode 250 
you know what? I feel like we actually got it for that long. I think it was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the timing so on that was just right. Episode two fifty one when we look back on the Air Bud series. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. We probably won't talk about the Air Buddies. You know what, but... Eric? I just checked. There's no rule that says a dog can't host this podcast. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I know. Yeah. All right. All right. So, that's true. So long, everybody. Mm-hmm.